anyways, uh, my family, Marcia and Luke and Natalie. Marcia's my wife. She was up here singing, uh, Luke and Natalie. Boy, you see close-ups like that of your kids, and you're like, man, I need to save for braces now, don't I? Anyway, those are my, <laughs> those are my kids. So maybe, I think it was about a year ago, uh, we were talking about, we were just sitting around, and we're like, I wonder what our names mean, you know? Like, you ever done this? Like, look up the background of your name, and like, well, the meaning, most names have a meaning to them. And so um, we, we looked up, my name's Jeffrey, so we looked up Jeffrey, and it's uh, German descent, and it means God's peace or peaceful ruler. And I'm like, totally accurate. Like, that's who I am, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then we look up Marsha, and Marsha, um, if you know my wife, she's like super quiet and super sweet, and um, Marsha's name means warlike. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, that's it, this is right on. So, so then we get to Natalie, and I think it was right around this time of year, because we looked up Natalie's, and Natalie's name means Christmas Day. I was like, oh, that's sweet, you know? So we're like excited to find out what Luke's is. You know, Luke's pumped, like, oh, it's something cool, you know, like Warrior King or something, or, or future NBA star or something like that. So we look up Luke's name, and Luke's name meant, it's from the Greek, Lucas or Laukas, and what it means is from Lucania, which is a region in southern Italy. I was like, my name means I'm Italian? Like, that's it, you know? And we did a little more research, and eventually, it's like light, it means light. But it was hilarious. So I started thinking a couple weeks ago about um, God and the different names in the Bible for God, or names or titles of God. And it's, it's interesting, I don't know if you've ever done this. Like, when you stop and think through some of these names and titles that the Bible uses for God, they tell us a lot about who he is. They tell us a lot about his character. So, you know, there's a, there's a ton of them. There's a bunch of them there on the slide. Creator, ruler, judge, master, redeemer, king of kings, second Adam, light of the world, lord of lords, rock. That's an interesting one. Truth, first and last, sure foundation, mediator, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Like there's all of these names, right? And these titles, and each of them tells us a little bit about God's character, like his, the qualities of his person, of his personality. So like creator, think about that one. Creator, God is the creator. He's a creative God, right? And you look around, like you can walk out these doors, even just standing in here looking around, you can see how creative he is, right? Like the, the vastness of his creation, how beautifully different and creative it is. We like to go on, um, it seems like CNN has this a lot. There'll be like little stories about, you know, underwater sea life that everything looks crazy and, you know, like, wow, God made those things, you know? The, the vastness of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. He's a creative God. You look at ruler, you know, what does that mean? What does that tell us about God? Well, it means he's in charge. He's powerful, you know? He oversees everything. How about judge? What does that tell us about him? It means he, he rules with justice, you know? Right and wrong. In fact, he determines what right and wrong is. Rock, I like that one. What does that tell us about him? He's solid, He's strong. He's unchanging, right? Kind of going along with that sure foundation. What does that tell? He's reliable, you know? He's sound to build our lives upon. You know, each of these different names tells us different parts of his character, different qualities of his character. 
And it's interesting, if you go, there's, there's one verse, in fact, one half verse in the Bible that gives us four different names of God. In fact, there's four different names or titles of specifically God the Son. So some of these are describing God the Father, some are God the Son, some are God the Spirit. There's half a verse back in the Old Testament that very specifically defines God the Son. And this is what it is. This is Isaiah 9b, 9-6b, the second part of it. It says, He, God the Son, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want you to think about, like begin to think about what those names, what those titles tell us about who God is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What do each of those tell us about Jesus? They're all packed with meaning, right? That I think this Christmas season are especially important for us to just kind of slow down and think about. I'm excited. Today we're starting a, a new series. It's our Christmas series. And it's a little bit different Christmas series than maybe what many of us might be used to. So a lot of times, you know, we spend time in, at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew, and they tell the Christmas story when Jesus was born. But during this series, I want to I wanna just kind of slow down and I want to camp out. I want to like build a tent and camp out in one verse, primarily one verse in the Bible. And it's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this verse that we were looking at. <clears throat> From Isaiah's perspective, this verse was written 2,700 years ago, about 700 years before God the Son came to be. From our perspective in 2016, we know that it's describing Jesus Christ, the one who comes to offer us peace and hope and grace, the one who came offering us those things, and the one who's coming back, right, to offer us everlasting life. So I'm excited to dig into this together. It's been a fun discussion this morning. So if you've got a Bible, grab it, flip it open to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 is where we're going to pick up. And as you're flipping there, I want to give you a little bit of background because we're jumping in. We're not starting at the beginning of the book. We're jumping in uh, a few, nine chapters into it. So I want to give you a little bit of background of what's going on that I think will be relevant, some context that will help us maybe understand this verse a little bit better. So about 200, 250 years earlier, by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own or you don't have one with you, a lot of times people use their phones or whatever, but if you don't have one, raise your hand. Steve will make sure that you get one there. So anyway, 200, 250 years earlier, um, before the book of Isaiah was written, the kingdom of Israel, it used to be one, it used to be one big kingdom, and then it split in two. So this is about 200, 250 years before Isaiah is written, okay? It splits in two, and then you have the northern kingdom, which retains the name Israel, and then you have the southern kingdom, which takes the name Judah, okay? So you have northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. And the northern kingdom, from that point on, after they split apart, they're rotten. Like, I don't know a better way to say it. Like, they're just a rotten group of people, and every single king is rotten. Like there's not one king. If you read the book of First and Second Kings talks about these different kings, okay, in Israel and Judah. If you read about all of the different kings of Israel, there was not one who was godly. There's not one who followed God and ruled with justice, okay? And so what happens is God sends prophets to them. God could just go, eh, forget it, you're done. Like leave me alone, but he doesn't. He sends prophet after prophet after prophet to them 
calling them to come back to him, warning them what's to come if they don't stop their evil, if they don't stop their sin. But what happens is they refuse. And so even though God warned them, listen, if you keep this up, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm gonna allow a nation that's much stronger than you to come and and basically destroy you. Even though he warned them, they didn't change. And eventually, that's exactly what happens. So the, the kind of big world power at that time was a nation called Assyria. And so in 722, about 200, 250 years later, after they split apart, 722, they're destroyed. Okay, the northern kingdom's destroyed. The southern kingdom, called Judah, uh, were a little bit different. They had a lot of rotten kings too, but they actually had some really good kings as well, ones that loved God and they wanted to lead their nation with justice and, and righteousness and humility. And so God sends prophets to them too because they weren't doing everything right. And so calling them, right, warning them, if you don't follow me, bad things are to come. And so they had times when they listened to the prophets and things actually went pretty well for them. And then they had other times they didn't listen to the prophets and things got worse for them. Well, eventually they stopped listening altogether and God allows another kingdom. The next world power on the scene after Assyria is a nation called Babylon. Okay, and Babylon conquers Judea. This is about 586. So what's that, 100 and, almost 150 years later, okay, 586 BC, Babylon conquers. And they don't just conquer them, they actually scoop up a bunch of them and take them into exile. They take them over to Babylon to like serve as slaves, that sort of thing. So this happens, so that's 586. So Isaiah is one of the prophets that God sent to this southern kingdom, okay? right around the time that the northern kingdom was being destroyed. So right around the, the early 8th century, 7, 700 to 750, somewhere in there is when the book of Isaiah was written. And so Isaiah go, is going to these people, hearing what God's telling him to say, and he's talking to them, he's like, why are you guys doing this? Like, why are you allowing yourselves to be overcome by evil and sin? You know, you're, you're corrupt, you're unjust, you're unfaithful. You're murdering people, you're liars, you're thieves, you're rebels, and you're teaching your kids to be just like you. He's like, turn from those things. If you don't, God's gonna bring a nation that's gonna bring judgment upon you, right? He's like pleading with them, turn away from the evil. But then amidst that, he's also telling them, Isaiah's a long book, there's a lot in Isaiah. Amidst that, he's also telling them, God loves you. He wants to like draw you in and protect you and keep you safe and lead you. He wants to be your God, but you got to want it too, right? And so then we get to chapter nine. And so God's speaking through Isaiah. This is where we're going to pick up. God's speaking through Isaiah. He's telling them rotten things are going to come because you're rebelling against me, right? But then he stops and he gives them this little peek into the future. This is what we're going to look at. He gives them this little peek into this future of what's to come and it's beautiful. It's glorious. And he does it. I think he does it to give them hope. Bad things are going to happen, guys, but there's a time when it's going to get much better. And here's the coolest thing. It's not just to give them hope 2,700 years ago. It's to give us hope as well. So I want you to check it out. This is Isaiah chapter 9. We'll pick up in verse 1. So this first part, I'll explain it here. I'll kind of boil it down. It's a, there's names and titles and stuff that you're, I'm sure you're not familiar with, but I'll boil it down. This is what it says. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those in distress. So he's like, a time of distress is coming. It's going to be rotten. But there's going to be a time when there's no more gloom. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he'll honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. All right, stop there for a second. What's he saying there? Like, uh, we go, I don't even know, Zebulun, I have no idea where that is. Like, what is, he, what is he talking about here? Here's what he's saying. Gloom and distress are coming because of your rebellion. You guys aren't following God. Things are gonna get rough for you. But afterwards, a time is coming of rejoicing when light will be dawning, a time of abundance and peace. There'll be no more wars. There'll be no more battles. There'll be no more oppression. It'll be a time of joy and hope. It's coming, guys. It's coming. And you stop and you go, how? Like, what? how's it gonna happen? What's gonna bring all of this in? I'm glad you asked. Let's keep going. Look at verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, think about this, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Take that in. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, question. Any idea who this little baby is, this little child is that Isaiah is talking about? Jesus, right? It's not a trick question. Jesus, I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Like, think about what Isaiah is saying here. 700-ish years before Joseph and Mary miraculously conceive, and they have a child named Jesus who was born just like you and me were born, right? Born a human being, just like you and me were born. <coughs> Excuse me. But new things only God can know and did things only God can do and who came and established this kingdom, God's kingdom on earth, that's been growing and growing and growing over the last 2,000 years. 700-ish years earlier, uh, Isaiah writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that a time is coming. So this hasn't happened yet. 700 years before, he writes, a time is coming when a baby's gonna be born, a human baby, just like you and me, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, mighty God. This human baby is going to be called mighty God. He's going to be called everlasting father. He's going to be called prince of peace. And he will rule with greatness and peace for how long? Forever, right? His kingdom will have no end. Guys, that blows me away. Like just Try to put yourself in the shoes of the people that Isaiah would have uh, been writing this directly to, or maybe they would have heard him saying this. Imagine if you were there 700-ish BC and you heard him say this. The, the specificity of this vision, this prophecy, is incredible. 
And it would have sounded ridiculous to them back then. Think about it. You would have heard him say this stuff. This human baby is going to be born. And he's going to be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. You'd be like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you saying here? A time's coming of rejoicing, of light, abundance, and peace. There'll be no more war, battles, oppression, all that sort of stuff. That sounds great, but hold on. You're saying all because a baby's going to be born? And this baby, this human being baby that's born is going to be called Wonderful Counselor? This human being baby that's going to be born is going to be called Mighty God? He's going to be called Everlasting Father? He's going to be called Prince of Peace? And his great and peaceful kingdom will have no end? Like, Isaiah, what exactly are you saying? That God is going to become a human being? What have you been smoking, right? You cray-cray, that's ridiculous, right? And now 2,700 years later, we read that, we pick up Isaiah, we read that, and we go, now that's exactly what happened. That, that's, ex- that's exactly what happened. 2,000 years ago, God became flesh and blood to save us and launch a kingdom that you and I are invited to be a part of that's never gonna end, and it's gonna be incredibly good, and it will change your life and my life forever. That is amazing, guys. Like, that, that blows my mind. I don't know where you're at in your faith. Like, we're all at different points on our spiritual journey in here. I read something like that. It takes a lot to believe, right? Like, none of us physically saw Jesus. We didn't see him die on a cross. We didn't see him rise from the dead. It takes reason for us to believe that. I read that, and I go, that helps me believe. This was verifiably a prophecy, a prediction about this coming Savior that at the time they would have gone, that is ridiculous. You're saying God's going to become flesh? Are you crazy? And it's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. That helps me believe. I got to move on, but I challenge you, think about that this week. Like just ponder that. And what a beautiful thing it is that God gave us that, that we could read it today. So this child that you and I know as Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, as the Savior, is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so I want to spend the rest of the time digging into those. In fact, today I just want to dig into one, the first one, Wonderful Counselor. I'm curious what you think of when you think Wonderful Counselor, like what comes to mind. There's a few, there's a few different counselors that come to mind for me. One of the things I think of is like legal counselor, uh, wonderful legal counselor, which sounds crazy sometimes, right? There are really wonderful attorneys. They are legal counsel. My sister's an attorney. That's the first thing I think of is like legal counselor. Second thing I think of is like uh, mental health counselor, right? Those are, those are different kinds of counselors as well, psychologists, psychiatrists. But I think the thing that I think first is a uh, camp counselor, I don't know why, but that's like the first thing that comes into my mind. Anybody ever go to camp and have like an incredible camp counselor? Yeah. I I didn't go to too many camps when I was a kid because I was a baby and I didn't like to be away from my parents overnight. But I did go to a couple. I did go to a few. And the ones I went to, every time, I had like these counselors that were amazing. Like I loved them. they They probably weren't that much older than me. But I looked up to them. I idolized them. I thought they were the coolest thing. I look back now and I think... Camp, like, I love kids. 
Like hanging out with kids would be a blast, but camp counselor would be like the worst job in the world. Like I'd be tired all the time. And you do crazy stuff as a camp counselor. I've heard horror stories from camp counselors. And not just like campfire, sitting around the campfire horror stories, like disgusting horror stories from camp counselors. I, my, my two nephews both um, were camp counselors uh, in summer camps over the last few summers. And, you know, they loved it, but they come back with these crazy stories, you know, of like disgusting things, crazy things that happen. So I was talking to, to my nephew, Nate, and he was like, yeah, one night, <laughs> I love when stories are like, one night, one night there was like in the boys' camp, one of the boys woke up at midnight starting puking all over the place, right? Which is disgusting enough. Like no one wants to get woken up. If you've got kids, you've probably experienced this. No one wants to get woken up at midnight to puke all over the place. But what made it worse is that, another, so the kid pukes all over, another kid wakes up and he sees it and he's so disgusted by it he starts puking all over the place. It's like a chain reaction, you know? And the camp counselor's gotta take care of that, you know? And so he said that, that they spent the next two hours at midnight cleaning up vomit. That's a wonderful counselor right there, right? God's a different kind of wonderful counselor. He does a lot more for us than clean up our puke, amen? Amen, yeah, it's disgusting, amen. Those two words in the Hebrew, it's interesting. So I, I don't know if you know this. The Bible, there's kind of two parts of the Bible, an Old Testament and a New Testament, and neither of them were written in English. So we have it, it translated into English, but that's not how it was originally written. The New Testament was written in Greek, Aramaic. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And when you look at these two words, wonderful counselor in Hebrew, they're actually loaded with meaning. Sometimes when you translate it to a different language, you, you lose some of the nuance, you know, you lose some of the meaning. But they're chock filled with meaning. So this word wonderful, this is just interesting for me to think about this week. This word wonderful, in Hebrew, it's pele, and it means wonder, but also means to marvel, or extraordinary, or miraculous, or incomprehensible. And so the wonderful and wonderful counselor, it's much more than just great, delightful, right? It's much more than that. He's our extraordinary counselor extraordinary. One of the translations I like said it this way. They called him our miracle working counselor. He's our miracle working counselor. And then that word counselor in, in Hebrew, it means to advise, to, to consult, to give counsel, or to conspire. And what it is, it's, it's one person filled with wisdom giving counsel to another. And so one translation that I saw, one commentator that I saw translated it as wonderful strategist. Like he's an expert strategist. He knows exactly what to do, when to do it. And so this, this first title, this first name that God speaks through Isaiah about God the Son, about Jesus, the baby whose life changed everything 2,000 years ago, is that he's not just wonderful counselor in English, but he's our miracle-working, extraordinary, wisdom-filled strategist or expert strategist, right? Like that's who he is. He's much more than just wonderful counselor. That helps me begin to think deeply about who he is. He's our miracle-working, extraordinary, wisdom-filled strategist. 
My, my wife, Marcia, I'll embarrass her one more time. I, again, I always ask her if I can talk about her. But she's quiet. Like, that's just, like, who she is. She's not a talker. She doesn't, she doesn't like to talk. I joke. I think it's true, though. I, I think she probably says 20% of the words that I say in a given day, which is, like, the opposite of normal, right? Like, usually women are more talkers, more verbal than guys. We just kind of grunt and stuff. But we're, we're flip-flopped with that. So she's just quiet. And she's not rude, in any way. She's not, you know, uncomfortable to be around. She's not difficult to talk to. She's just not a talker, you know? But it's funny. People love to talk to her. It's hilarious. Like, I don't know how many people I've heard, I've heard say to me or say to her, man, your wife is just so easy to talk to. She is such a good listener. So she'll be like talking to somebody for a half hour and she won't say a word, but they're just chattering, chattering, chattering. And sometimes, guys, when we hear this word, this title, Wonderful Counselor, we can think that that's the defining quality of a wonderful counselor, that they're a really, really good listener. Like, think mental health counselor here. A wonderful counselor is someone who listens really well. And I'll say this, that is an important quality in being a good counselor. But if that's all a counselor does is listen really, really well, they won't be that helpful, will they, right? Because a wonderful counselor is not just somebody who's easy to talk to. A wonderful counselor is not just somebody that listens really well. They're also very wise, and they give wisdom and counsel that, if followed, will make an incredible impact in the life of the person who's being counseled. If it's not listened to, if it's rejected, it's worthless, right? Listen to what Colossians 2 says about, about Jesus, about our wonderful counselor. I'm kind of jumping in right at the middle of it, but it says, it says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, in God the Son, and our wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's not just a good listener, although he is but he also is filled with wisdom and he speaks to us. Sometimes we can just talk to God and we're talking, talking, talking and we're like just vomiting our feelings out on him and we never listen. He is more than just a good listener. He's filled with wisdom and knowledge and he speaks to us. He shares that with us if we would just listen. Here's a question for you. When life's hard, like when life's not working out the way that you want it to work out or that you planned it to work out and you're feeling stressed and you're struggling and you're like, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm hurting right now. Here's a question. Where do you turn? Like in your life, who do you go to for counsel during those times? Like when life's feeling out of control, think about it. Where do you go? Where do you turn for counsel? One of the things I was thinking about this week that it just, it just struck me is how people are people, no matter if we live in Norton Barberton, wherever you live, Northeast Ohio in 2016, or you live in some time in the distant past. Like people are people and we struggle with the exact same things that humanity has always struggled with. Sometimes we can think we're so advanced, we're so evolved, right? But man, we struggle the exact same ways. This was really relevant to me this week. I was watching a, um, I think it was a basketball game or maybe it was a stupid sitcom or, or something. 
and a commercial came on that got my attention. And, uh, and, I, and I, wrote, I wrote down some of the things that it said. It just, it struck me. This is what it said. So I was watching this commercial, or this TV show, and this commercial came on. This is what this lady, a lady came on the screen. And she goes, this is, this is, I think, the exact words. I woke up at night wondering, worrying what to do. I just didn't have the answers. I felt stuck. Then I remembered seeing a California Psychics commercial. I called, and I felt like she really knew me. And she gave me advice and answers, and I finally felt unstuck. And that was the commercial. And then, and then afterwards, it's like, it said, your first call is $1 a minute for up to 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, that's a bargain. Like, that's a great deal, right? And then in the fine print, it says, subsequent phone calls are somewhere between $4 and $13 a minute. Like, what? The wrong business, you know? And then in the really fine print, it said, for entertainment purposes only. And I'm like, huh. And that doesn't surprise me. Like, I'm not surprised by that. Like, we're, people are stuck all the time. People are confused all the time. People are looking for answers all the time. And if we're not looking to God for the answers, we're going to look somewhere, right? Especially when someone says, I can see the future. I can know what you're supposed to do. But what was so funny to me is how similar it sounded to the verses just before the ones that we just looked at in chapter 9 of Isaiah. At the very end of Isaiah chapter 8, he's talking to them about them doing the exact same thing. This is what he says. He says, so Isaiah writing to Jews 2,700 years ago, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who, mut who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and testimony and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And he goes on to say that, that anyone looking for counsel in those places is going to live in darkness and gloom. Let me go back to my previous question. When life's hard for you and you're struggling and you're hurting, you don't know where to go, and you don't know what to do, where do you turn? Who do you go to for counsel? You probably don't go to a psychic, you may, or a medium, or a spiritist, or pull out your Ouija board for the answers, but who do you go to? Do you go to your family, you know? Do you go to your friends, trusted friends? Do you call up your, your mental health counselor, you know, your psychologist, say, I gotta, I gotta set up a meeting with you. Do you call the pastor? Or do you go to Jesus? Do you go to him? See, none of those other people, hear me here, none of those other people that I just mentioned that we could go to are necessarily wrong. They're just not who we should go to first, and they're not who we should go to most. You've got a miracle-working, extraordinary, wisdom-filled strategist who's always available. Like he's always there for you, right? And he knows exactly what to do. He's filled with all wisdom and all knowledge. And he knows your name, and he loves you, and he wants to give you the answers, and me the answers, if we would just go to him. I remember for me a point in my life when I, I recognized my own struggle with this, like going to other people 
for wisdom and counsel more than going to God. It was, a, it was just a tough time in my life. Like I was at a time where I'm like, I don't understand why the things that are happening to me are happening to me. I don't get it. I don't understand why this person is doing this and why this person's doing this. And I don't know what to do. I don't know where I should go. And I was a Christian at the time. And I remember like talking to my family, like for hours talking to my family. You know, what should I do? I don't understand. What should I do? I remember calling up my good friends or sitting down with my good friends that were Christians and saying, I don't know, what, what, like, what should I do? What, how, what, what do you advise me? To do? I remember calling my pastor at the time and saying, please show me the right thing. You know, show me how to respond. How to, I remember pick, calling a mental health counselor at the time, setting up a meeting like, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden I realized, it's just like a light came on for me. And I realized I am spending so much more time talking to people, albeit godly people, to try to get perspective and wisdom and advice from them than I was with God. Like I'm spending all my time talking to people, you know? And they were godly people, but I was talking to them way more than I was talking to God. You know why? It's easier, you know? It's tangible. I'm sitting in front of somebody. I can ask them a question verbally and I can hear them respond to me verbally, right? It's more direct. It's easier to understand. I was like, the lights came on. I'm like, I don't, I don't have to go just to people. Like I can go right to the source. I can go to my wonderful counselor who's always listening to me. He's always available to me. And he has all wisdom and all knowledge and all understanding. As it's subtle, like we can, we can justify this, but if we're not careful, we can neglect going to God and listening to him and allowing him to counsel our spirits, our hearts in a way that no physical person can do it. No physical person can do it. The message today is really simple. Like it's really simple. Are you going to your wonderful counselor? You know, like when, when you're hurting, are you going to your miracle-working, extraordinary, wisdom-filled strategist when your heart is breaking? Are you going to him? When you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling beat up, when you're feeling abused, are you going to him? When you don't know what to do, are you going to him? When you don't know where to go, are you going to him? When you're hurting, are you going to him? When you need someone to just listen to you, are you going to him? When you need somebody to just accept where you're at and not try to fix you, are you going to him? I, I like how one of the guys I read this week said it. He kind of played off of the mental health counselor. He said, are you setting up regular meetings with your counselor? You know, are you regularly meeting with your counselor? That's a good question for us. It's a great question. How do you do that? How do we regularly meet with our counselor? I think it starts by prayer, you know, like talking to him. Remember, he's not just a good listener. We talk to him, but we also listen to him which sometimes it's hard to discern, it's hard to decipher. But man, God can speak to our hearts in incredibly powerful and clear ways if we would calm our lives and listen to him. And, and I think it goes with this too. Like if I wanna know what God thinks, like very clearly what God thinks and believes about something, I can pick this up and know. 
I don't know how many times I've been struggling and hurting with something and I, I remember a Bible passage, or I don't, like, I don't know what to do. And then I remember a Bible passage that deals exactly with that. Or I just pick up the Bible and I start reading and it helps me understand, right? I'm gonna invite the band up. I know we need to wrap up. Why don't you guys come up? There's gonna be a little stirring around me here, but I, I, wanna, I wanna finish. If you just give me two more minutes, I wanna finish this way. Those questions that I just asked, are you meeting with your counselor? Are you going to your counselor? Are you setting up regular times with your wonderful counselor? Those are predicated on another question. That's very, very important. That It starts with this. Do you know your wonderful counselor? Like that, that's where it starts. Do you know him? And here's the thing, I don't mean know about him. Knowing him and knowing things about him are very, very different. I can know a lot of things about George Washington, but I don't know George Washington, right? There's a lot of things that we can know about God when we pick this up and not actually know him and have any sort of relationship with him. The Bible actually says the demons believe, the demons know about Jesus. That's very different than knowing him and having a relationship with him. And I want to challenge you. Again, I don't know where, where we're at spiritually. We're all in different places, and that is okay to admit. But I want to challenge you. At Christmas time, maybe especially, this is a great time of year to just slow down and think about Jesus and consider Jesus and what we do with him. It's not enough to just go, yeah, I know the Christmas story. I'm trying, and I'm trying to be a good person, and I'm trying to go to church. That's not a Christian. It's not a Christian. A Christian is somebody that goes, I know that God loves me so much and that I'm rotten in myself. I've done a lot of rotten things, but God doesn't want me to just be pushed away. But he sent Jesus, his son, God the son, who was prophesied about hundreds of years earlier to live and to die for me to take away, to pay for all of my sins so I no longer have that weight and burden. But now I receive forgiveness and I receive a relationship with him. I challenge you, wherever you're at, lean into that this week. And if there's something, like if you got questions or you're, you're un, it's unclear to you, man, I would love to talk to you. You could find me after service. You could write it on your connection card and give it to me. We'll call you me or John or Josiah who is up here, any of our staff, any of our grace group leaders, like we love to help. That stuff gets us excited. Challenge you to consider Jesus during this time. We're going to sing one more song together, and uh, I encourage you to make the most of this time.